hell there ain't. Welcome to Concert Pipeline. That is Joe Wilson. That is Stephen Jones. And today on the program we have a great band where which we have a lot of history about uh, together, and we'll we'll go into that in just a little bit. Um, but the uh, I wouldn't say a lot of history. I mean, we can go right into that right away. But first, tell us who is the band we are listening to tonight, Stephen Jones. Tonight, Joe Wilson. It is Cowboy Mouth. Cowboy Mouth. I like it. They we saw them. It was the first show we ever saw together. Uh, back in, uh, do you remember what year? The second, the second show, really, if you after Taking Back Sunday, right? In the in the used. Oh but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking, but this is the first yeah. show that we did for the show. Yeah, this is the first show we covered. His technically, I had an interview with Taking Back Sunday that night, uh, but the cameras weren't working, and you guys weren't a part of that interview. You were just there. Yeah, well, we weren't part of that show. It was yeah. So this is the first show that was covered. That was stage left. Yes, and this is where Stage Right began, is with Cowboy Mouth. That's right. <laughs> At the Mystic Theater in Petaluma. Where it began? Do you remember what year? Yeah, I. it was uh, 12 years ago, so it, was, it, it had to have been... No, it was more than that. It was 2003. That was to, uh, 12 years ago, sir. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, I thought it was more than that. Well, you know why? Because I'm 31 now. Mm-hmm. I had a birthday. So I subtracted 12 from that, and I was like, I wasn't 18, I was 19. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't 19, I was 18. I'm sorry. Good Lord. Foot yeah. in mouth. I'm, uh, I'm off. I'm off today. You, you are off. So, um, yeah, so it was we a long... bring it back together. Bring it in, Steve Jones. Bringing it in. Bringing it in. So, um, so it was a lot of fun. So let's, let's, uh, let's start by going back to, uh, to 2003 and, and recounting those days. Uh, we... God, we were both 40 pounds lighter. <laughs> right. You were you were five two, not yet five four. <laughs> uh, we uh, Jesus, I still had braces. You, uh, I could poke your bones and they'd start cracking. I well, no, I was never fragile. I was just skinny. <laughs> you were very skinny. I'd never fragile. I'd never broken a bone. Um, I was skinny. I was very very skinny. I was yeah. uh, <clears throat> scrawny. I would emaciated is the word I'd use. I was emaciated. You were. Um, a friend of mine once commented when I took my shirt off that I looked like a concentration camp victim. Oh my God. <laughs> That's a good, accurate representation. It was about, it was about what I looked like. <laughs> uh, I looked like I was on a starvation diet, but you know what? I ate just as much then as I do now. And now I'm, uh, now I'm a big fat guy. I don't know what's going on. And what's going on there? Huh? Old man. Well, I guess I look fat compared to you. I'm a healthy 170 pounds for my height, six foot. I think that's perfect. And and I'm a healthy and, uh, 159 pounds for my height, which is five foot four. Healthy. You say? <laughs> not healthy. You didn't. You know what though? You well, you're five. You're five three and a half. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we just round up. We call it five four. But okay. you were, God, you were like 185 just a, a few yeah. months ago, just six months ago. Yeah, pushing 190. So, yeah. Pushing 190, and uh, you know, I think 20 pounds came out of your face. Just oh. right off of your right off of your head. You're you had a fat head. <laughs> you had a, a round Irish head. I can't deny it. And I I didn't really acknowledge it because it was just what I was stuck with at the time and <laughs> and then like I get pictures sent to me by random uh, best friends now. Uh, random random best friends. <laughs> I don't won't say who. We won't, I won't say who. We won't name names, but uh, that they steal off of other people's Facebook page and of of me with fat face, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. Who is that? Yeah, you had you had a pumpkin pie head. You had a pumpkin <laughs> head. 
Yeah. And that ginger beard. Uh-huh. Oh my god. It was unreal. Uh-huh. I'm I for one. I'm glad that you'll live to see sixty. Thank you. Thank you. I, I turned it around, right? In a big bad way, bro. You uh you stepped up to the plate. You've inspired me. I have been on a workout regiment for um about a month and I, I've lost I hate I hate it when people say like I've lost five pounds, I've lost eight pounds. I feel like that's kinda of bullshit. Yeah. But I have actually I feel like I have actually lost that weight because I'm I'm not as doughy as I was. I was soft. I mean I still am very soft, but I'm also um building muscle. Mm-hmm. So I feel good. I'm good I feel good. You know why? I I was inspired by your determination to lose weight, but also you, you I were, had a moment of I had a moment of clarity, and the moment of clarity was this, Stephen Jones. I, you know, you know how you see the Weight Watchers commercials when you're a kid. Yeah. And they the side by like, side. You, right. They show the before picture, and they're like, "That was me six years ago. I was 320 pounds. I mean, I was never 320 pounds. I hope I'm never 320 pounds. But, uh, they do those pictures. I, in my moment of clarity, use your situation uh, to 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 divine what I wanted for myself. Uh, the pictures of you when your son were born are the pictures of you that are going to exist forever. And that's clearly not physically who you are now, but that is who you will always see when you look at those pictures. You'll think about that time, that place, and who you were then. And I, I thought to myself, there are going to be a lot of pictures taken when my son is born in a few months. And... I don't want to look at those pictures and be like, like, oh my God, I let myself go at 30 or 31. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to think, ah, the pictures that I'm going to look at for the rest of my life that are going to be like cherished memories. I don't want to have, because I am that vain. I am that psycho. Uh, I'm clearly that enamored with myself <laughs> that I would, that I would worry about the way I would think about how I looked in 30 years. In pictures. Yeah. At, yeah. Yeah. And I want to look at those pictures and be like, dude, I was the man. Yeah. I want to I want to sh- I want to show them to my kids and be like, look at how good dad used to look before he became the fat piece of crap you see before. <laughs> so, there was a time, right? Yeah. There was a time. That's what I want. Really? I want that story. I want that story to hold water with yeah. my kids. I want look, your dad was a beast. Look at him now. He's a blob. Um that's what I want. So well, we we keep uh, we can keep inspiring each other to keep this up so that hopefully when we're sixty that, that that's not the story that we're telling. No, that we're... no. Listen, the Fit Dad Club is on. The challenge is on. The triathlon is on. You yeah. Know? Um, it's gonna happen. Your uh, your uppance will come, Stephen Jones. I actually am fully confident that you could you could run circles around me right now. If we went, I mean, I've been I've been up in my running game. I'm at a mile and a half. I'm gonna do one a mile and a half tonight. Good. And, and uh, you know, I started at a mile two weeks ago. And the hope is that the end of next week, I'll add another half mile. I'll be up to two miles inside of a month. That's my goal. Not You're bad. running five like nothing and thinking about going out for another I, couple. I'm, Joe, I'm thinking tomorrow morning. I, I'm thinking about trying 10. I think you should do a it's, half marathon, it's, man. It's two laps around the, the country club. To, um, and this morning. An hour and a half is, is not an insignificant amount of time to be exerting yourself. Do you know how uh, do you know how far a marathon is, Stephen Jones? Yeah, 26.2 miles. There you go. So 13.1 is yes. a half. And yeah. I, I have to no, be able to get I to think, 10 I miles. To, yeah, I have to be able to get to 10 miles do, to be able to do that. I bet you so. could do it now. I bet you could do it now. I bet if you just went, signed up for a, tra- a, half, a half marathon and just did it, you would fucking slay. 
But I'd like okay. to I'd like to try my ten, ten you know ten miles around you know the country club uh, before I I, oh, I do yeah, want to no do problem. I want to do a half marathon that's my goal. It's amazing um, that you're not even going to do a ten k or a five mile or why, a, you why, know, a ten a ten mile. Yeah, why, why, why start with a five k? That's not even what I'm doing now. You're going to come out of nowhere. You're going to be like the dark horse. Everyone's going to be like, I've never seen you before on the running circuit. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm that young kid who nobody thought had anything left. I used to be a blob on the couch. Yep. Eat, eat nothing but Doritos and Fritos, baby. <laughs> you you were there. I was there. Well, I know I, I witnessed it. I didn't yeah. stick around for the Fritos. No. No, the Fit Dad Club. It's going to be yeah. great. Well, we you, got, we got one. What's that? I was going to say I do remember you. Uh, you know, saying, "Hey, I'm I'm getting down to you know 170, so I'm you know I'm less than you, Steve." And then I just kept going down below that. So. <laughs> well, I don't want to blo- I don't want to drop yeah. below 170. Yeah. That's a healthy well, weight for me. I think I think 159 is skeletal. I'm I'm comfortable where I am right now. I don't feel skeletal. Right, but that's have... because but that's because you're five four, so it fits yeah. you well. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> the fact that you're not. Um, you know, six foot like every other man means. <laughs> oh fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> I got him! I got him! I got him! Said, fuck you! I win! I don't know why I, uh, I won. I don't know what I won, but I, I got him. Uh-huh. All right, listen. Enough of that shenanigans. Yeah. We we were wrong. You were we were. You know what? I will say this though. I might. You might have me on weight. I might have you on height. But. We will always be tied on facial hair. I I, I think my be- I think my beard looks just as good as yours. Does. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. <laughs> you were like, "What is he going to say?" Facial hair clearly is the is yes. the tiebreaker. That um, that and chest hair, right? Well, listen, I have some mean nipple hair. Uh, <laughs> the chest hair, not so much, but I've been grooming the nipple hair. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. It looks it looks good. It looks real good. When I get out of the pool, it just sticks to my <laughs> chest and runs straight down. It looks like somebody, you know, spray painted my nipples on because there's like <laughs> running hair underneath them. It's beautiful. It's I I couldn't tell you. I've never felt more manly than when I stepped out of the shower and, <laughs> and looked at my seven inch long nipple hair. That just almost almost touched almost touched my belly button. <laughs> Plastered to my chest. That's so you know that's the test of a man right there. <laughs> well, I, I will I cower in your your manliness, sir. Right, bow, bow I'm before me it. in my masculinity. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know what's right. that image now. Wait, that... so uh, cowboy mouth, right? I think is, there's is, an interview. Is that your your segue? <laughs> right. No. Yeah, cowboy mouth. Duh. That's what we were going to talk about. We, we were got just distracted. About to... We were talking about ancient ancient podcast or ancient tv shows after we tell everybody you know that if you want more of this you you have to subscribe to the podcast you have to you're gonna have to you you have to go to and follow us on twitter more everyone wants more of this where are they gonna follow us at at concert pipeline on twitter and periscope and uh on concert pipeline pod on the facebook concert pipeline pod exactly I, i must say i really like the new theme song music i like it so much more oh my god i like it so much more i think you know what i need i think it needs what does it need is that i like putting work on your plate yeah yeah i like just asking you to do things i mean you're the producer that's what you do um i'm not even the talent you can't (laughs) qualify me as that so i guess i have no room for to make demands but i think i think it'd be great if you had like a john wayne sound bite that's like where do you think you're going pilgrim 
something like that. You know what I'm saying? You've never seen a John Wayne movie, have you? Uh, I'm probably not a whole movie. I highly doubt. Ugh, you are a cultural illiterate. I this swear to true. God. I swear to God, this is true. <laughs> no denying it. Ah, uh, fair enough. Pop culture, Stephen Jones. It was. I mean, admittedly, it was pop culture for our parents, but it stayed relevant. Everybody knows who John Wayne is, and I just feel like with that badass slag country guitar, we need we need some badass quotes. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I'll work on that. Yeah. Yeah, well, just you two badass cowboy quotes. I bet you find something so good. <laughs> so good. I bet. Yeah. Oh, wait, so cowboy mouth. Cowboy, cowboy. speaking so, of cowboys. Speaking of cowboys, the there, there it is right there. You brought it back. Good job, Joe. I found it. Yay. Couldn't tie it in with the, the nipple first hair. But... One, the first one didn't feel right. No. The second one didn't feel natural. The third one, <laughs> we, so smooth. We got there. Yeah. We're there. So, so tell me about the show, Steve. I didn't go. You didn't. I, uh... I, as everybody listening uh, probably knows, I am with child. No, um, you're, you're, I wouldn't say with at, child, but you're, you're around, at, a chi- around a child. <laughs> well, no, no, so, so yeah. well, the term with child means that she's pregnant. Uh, uh, and I, it is half me, so I, I, I think that that term, uh, I'm with child in my home, uh-huh. uh, applies. Okay. I mean, it's a bit of a stretch. It's a total stretch. It makes no sense. But uh, my wife is with child. How about that? And uh, and due to that constraint, um, I try not to commit to anything because I used to be a flake, and now I just don't do anything. And that's so much better than being a flake. Isn't it? Because now I don't have to say I'm sorry. Now I just say I'm not doing it. And you can ask all the way up until the end that I can still – say hey i never said i'd do it and then nobody feels bad it works perfectly and it was fortuitous for you for reasons that will go unmentioned so it's a good thing that your friend joe has a pregnant wife at home that he needs to attend to because it it worked out in your favor it did it did in a big bad way but tell me about the show Stephen jones so you opening band was who the opening band it doesn't matter <laughs> exactly it doesn't you, matter. you'll find out about the opening band next week on the podcast Exactly. We all we care about is cowboy mouth. That it's is a rock and roll show about a rock and roll band named Cowboy Mouth. Get down on the ground. Get down on the ground. <laughs> uh, Nicely done. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So the Cowboy Mouth. We interviewed Fred from Cowboy Mouth and um, and talked to him about the good old days a, a little bit from um, from years ago. They've been around for like 25 years um, in different uh, iterations. Is the word I think right? Iterations, yes. yes. So I talked to Fred about their uh, their live shows, their rec- uh, their recording uh, albums, you know, all the albums they've done because they've done like twenty albums between live albums and um, and studio albums, and um, talked to him about a lot of that, and uh, and uh, and he brought up some you know uh, some kind of personal stuff about uh, a song I don't even want to get you know give it away we'll get into the interview here in um, in just a second but uh, but I'll just, I'll just say it was I mean an incredible show there's so much energy um, and for a guy who's doing this all the time and uh, he's uh, the lead singer and he also is a drummer and not he's not just one of those drummers who goes I mean he's pounding those drums right and he's sweating by the third song. Um, yeah, he plays like an absolute maniac. When I saw him the first time, it was unreal. His head is like, he's, he is rocking. He's headbanging while playing the drums and singing. It's incredible. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it it was so great. It was so great, and he um, built up the energy in the room uh, a lot. Also, when he, when the crowd wasn't giving him what he wanted, he'd call out, call them out on their shit, and uh, and make them give him more energy. And uh, he's like, oh, okay, so uh, hey guys, uh, did we we already got paid? Uh, actually, I think you might hear this in one of the, one of the songs, but uh, he's like, "Yeah, we we got paid." Oh, okay. So you you wanted to hear you know this uh, uh, the hit song from from the '90s, right? Okay, you know, Jane says, "Yeah, da da da," you know, sort of thing, and he just like you know shot it out a, a little bit for uh, you know kind of messing around with the crowd and <laughs> and getting them excited to you know get back into the show. It, it was it's just freaking awesome. So yeah, he's he's a, he's an epic performer. Um, I mean, I never forgot, and I love the album All You Need Is Live. Uh, I still have it, the copy you burned me all those years ago. Or no, bought, bought, right, we bought it, yeah. Um, no, back when we used to pirate music, you'd burn it for me. And, uh, oh man, just so good. Yeah, I completely agree, sir. So, um, so I think we should get into, um, you know, listen to a song from Cowboy Mouth and then, uh, and then check out the interview. What do you think? I think that'd be great. What are we gonna listen to? Well, I'm glad you asked, Joe. We're going to listen to Love of My Life by Cowboy Mouth. Hey, this is Fred from Cowboy Mouth from the great city of New Orleans, Louisiana, and you are listening to Concert Pipeline. That's right, Concert Pipeline. <laughs>
Someone will get punched in the face exactly. but before the course of this interview. My money is on John Brilliant. Oh. He's, he's standing the farthest away nearest the door, so he's, he's ready to, but to he, run. He deserves it the most. I mean. <laughs> All right, what's up? Hey, what's up? So I'm here with Fred LeBlanc from Cowboy Mouth. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing, doing pretty swell, you know? Good, good. You're, you're in San Francisco. When was the last time you were here? Oh, I don't know. When was the last time we were here, John? About three years ago? Two or three years ago? That was me. I was trying to get your attention. About two years ago. I think two years ago. Where did you play last year? Do you remember? Here. Independent. Do you like the Independent? I love the Independent. I love, uh, what's the other room we play here? John, what's the other room we play here? It's called Slims. 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 Yeah, Slims is, nice is great. Slims is great. We've, we've had a lot of luck in the Bay Area since day one. It's, it's always been very accepting and embracing of what we do. So we've played a lot of places here. We've played, uh, where did we play, where did we play with Hootie that time? The Greek Theater nice. in uh, Oakland. Oakland, yeah. Yeah, we did. Berkeley. That's, yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. Yeah, bottom, the bottom of the hill. Of the hill. Nice. We did bottom of the hill. Wow, yeah, that's true. That was here, wasn't it? I'll be damned. Yeah. It shows you what I know. So I've seen you twice. This is going to be the third time that I've seen you. Okay. And, um, I saw you, the first time I saw you was at the Fillmore opening for Better Than Ezra. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and that's yeah. Our, that was a co-headline tour. We yeah. did the whole... We did the whole USA. It was about five or six months total with those guys. Yeah, and that it was, was 13 years ago. I was telling you, so it was a really long time ago. But uh, but you you left a good impression, and I uh, well, thank you. We talked to you for a bit, and um, and you just had a great energy, really friendly, and and I mean honestly, don't tell the better Ezra guys. Cause I'm sure you're friends with them, but I mean I, I think you guys stole the show. Well, I despise those guys, and yes, we're better. <laughs> no, no, they're great. They're wonderful. Uh, you know, really good guys. We I've known Kevin and Tom mm -hmm. probably since like 1986. They were uh, fans of my old band, Dash Rip Rock, and they used to come see us play down at frat houses at LSU. My old punk punk rockabilly band, which ironically enough, our bass player Brian joined about six years after I quit 
uh, at that band, and now he's playing with us. Here, you got so. him back, though. Yeah, we, <laughs> exactly. In the, in the end, so, that's amazing. But yeah, no, we did we did like five or six months with those guys. Yeah, they're great. They're old friends. We know known for years. So wonderful. But thank you for the compliment. That's very generous. Of course. So, thank you. And then uh, I saw you in Phoenix at the Phoenix in Petaluma, I think, or Mystic Theater, maybe. I think it was Mystic. Oh yeah, like the, the, the next Mystic. year did you, after. Did you, with with Ezra. I think it was just you guys had um, headlining. Okay. So all right, it was weird. It's a show with Ezra. Oddly enough, wow, that was thirteen years ago. Um, we did a show with Ezra at the Petaluma. I think it was the night before. Uh, we did. Where did we play here? That was Fillmore, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we did. Uh, that was where we met. That was where we met Guy. Guy Fieri came out. Ah. Uh-huh. And he's he's been a friend of ours, obviously, for about thirteen, fourteen years, and he just was really turned on to what we did, and he was a really nice guy. It was long before all the. Food yeah, network stuff because you know and minute to a, win it. And, he was just a, yeah, just yeah. a just a guy who owns some really good restaurants. So he'd bring us some food, and he would bring us this barbecue sushi wow. from his restaurant, uh, Tex Wasabi's in Santa Rosa. Yeah, just, yeah, it was so good. Oh, and then our show started to go downhill in San Francisco because we'd all we'd all just be stuck. <laughs> like, I'm a cowboy, blah, blah, blah. but you know. I imagine for you it's hard to play on a full stomach. Yo, definitely. definitely. Your, your, your band has such great energy. and I mean, so you mentioned day one. Like, when did it, the recipe, you can, as we're talking about cooking, come to, to fruition? <laughs> well, honestly. You playing the drums and, and singing at the same time. Well, I, I, I'd been in, in, in that other band for a while, and I, I'd kind of wanted to get off that uh, kind of crazy merry-go-round. And I'd gotten signed to a solo record deal for, for a label called EMI out of New York. So I saw it as an opportunity to just kind of change my life. And so I got out, did that for about a year. It didn't really go anywhere, but it, it gave me some money and it bought me some time to write some songs and just kind of figure out my next move. And then uh, I was rehearsing with a couple of other musicians in New Orleans, and it really just wasn't going well. And then had the idea to call John because I knew him because he had played in a band called Red Rockers, who were actually based out of here for a while in the 80s. And... Um, and but he's a New Orleans guy, and he was back uh, where I was at the time. And so I had the idea to call him because you know we'd always been fans of each other's work. You know his band had always given whatever bands I was in opening slots and things like that, and vice versa. And so um, I had an idea to call him, and, call, and I called him, and he came in, and he had learned a couple of songs I'd given him on a <laughs> cassette, and um, and it went from being really, really, really terrible to really great within the space of three seconds. I remember we played a song called Why You Want to Do Me that was on one of my demos. And it was just like, what the hell just happened? Oh, yeah. I remember. I remember. Bringing a Marshall. I told me like, this story the other day. It's like playing with these guys. And you're like, yeah, the first time I went over there with my little amp, when I come back, I'm bringing the Marshall, guys, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. And he... And he has been since, so you know. But uh, it's you know it was really good, and then we just hit the road. <laughs> That's pretty much what we've been doing for the last 478 years. I know, right? Exactly. A young Abe Lincoln had just taken office. The wheel was all the rage. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so uh, you you tour a lot, and and how do you kind of? Take, do you take the time that you need to stay at home? Do you have? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we used to tour all the time. We used to grind it out. We had a bus and the whole shebang, and then, um, you know, the economy changed, and you know, it it started going from where people, where we started 
it, we always did well on weekends and things like that. But during the week, you know, just people, they didn't have money, you know. And so that started to dampen a little bit. And I, I saw what other bands of our of our um of our crowd were doing like the Ezra's and the the Hooties and the uh the Sister Hazels and all those guys were just doing mostly fly dates on the weekend and touring when they had something new out, you know. Yeah. But just mostly just fly dates and or you know or regional touring and thing like things like that. And it just seemed it seemed to be a lot smarter, a lot less taxing. And you know, you want to you want to keep momentum going in your life and your career. And so about that time, um, my wife and I decided to have a baby, and everything just kind of fell together. And it's worked a lot. It's worked. It's worked itself out pretty well. You know, the band is still doing very well. We still have a great time doing it. We still work a good bit of the time, but it also it's not so much of a, an imposition on the other parts of our lives. You know, which is good. Everybody yeah. has room to be whoever they want to be away from here and then come to this and you know play rock star for a night which is fun yeah it's a fun game it, it's a good game it's a great game that's what i view our shows every night it's like it's like every night i just it's like tonight we're gonna play a game it's called rock band and we're gonna be the rock band and you're gonna be the audience maybe tomorrow night you'll be the rock band who knows who knows we'll play, see how it goes see how it goes <laughs> So tell me about the current uh, lineup of the band. The current lineup of the band is me and John Thomas over here. John Thomas Griffith, who's been in. Brian is the new guy. Brian Bruce. Brian Broussard, bass player extraordinaire. Brian, in his spare time, he actually co-owns a brewery in Louisiana mm-hmm. uh, called, what is it, Covington? Covington Brew House. It's a really good beer, actually. It's really, really good. Uh, John Thomas uh, runs a music company on the side. Uh, he also does session work in LA John Thomas Griffith and this is Matt Jones our other guitar player he is our tour manager as well as being a guitar player extraordinary he also does tour managing and sound for other bands when he's away from here so so that's us did you grow up in New Orleans? born and raised and so tell me about the music scene there and growing up with that well back when I was growing up it wasn't anywhere near as healthy or as vibrant as it is now which is I guess you know it kind of forced you to be more creative, you know, because you had to not only figure out what to play, but where to play and all those types of things. There was one there was one venue that I knew of in town. It was like when I was coming up, Jimmy's was the only game in town, pretty much. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Jets. Oh, that was before my time. Old Man Rivers was dead by the time I started playing. Yeah, but that, that, was, that wasn't... Yeah, a very different scene. You, being a being a, a rock musician or a rock and roll musician from New Orleans, so you're always kind of viewed as the, like the redheaded stepchild, you know, because yeah. the money, the tourist money, goes to the trumpet players, and, and that's fine, you know. There's nothing wrong with that. I always kind of pictured what we did as a rock and roll version of the kind of joie de vivre of New Orleans, you know. That's what I always said. I always say we're a New Orleans rock and roll band, you know. Yeah. Because because there's such a a lively element to what we do you know yeah and, and it's also you know also part rock and roll part gospel you know it's like acdc meets sam cook <laughs> so that's an analogy there for sure yeah, yeah so when did you know you wanted to be a musician this is what you wanted to do for, <laughs> for me uh oh man i was uh i was five years old and oscar the grouch was my hero because he never had to clean his room. He didn't. He, he told everybody off. I was like, man, what a great way to live. This I is know. awesome. And so um, when 
Christmas came around when I was five years old, you know, my folks thought they were getting off real easy because all the weird, all the weird little kid wanted was a green garbage can. So they were, they got a garbage can, painted it green, and I disappeared. And I disappeared for like a week in this garbage can. And they thought, wow, this is great. And then all of a sudden, one day I turned it over and I hit it, and I was like, oh, yeah, this works. Yeah, I like this. Yeah. And they regretted it ever since. Yeah. So, so yeah, about that time. Yeah. So, so you've made. Oh, oh I was just. I, I didn't. I was born in Texas and didn't grow up in New Orleans, but coming there when I was 16. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> from a kind of a slightly like a musical piano background, it was like heaven. I mean, I, I, all this, the kids when I was living in New Jersey were into like the New Riders of the Purple Sage and the Dead and picking up banjos and stuff, which seemed odd. I thought you only did that in the South. Yeah. So you get down to South and everybody's, you know, they realize, oh, they're going to school here. I get it. <laughs> uh, they're going to Tulane and they're going back up to Connecticut or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's, it's a nice melting pot, man. It's really great. Uh, I'm glad I moved there. Yeah. When I was a kid. So how how do you? I mean, I'm sure you play a lot of shows around Mardi Gras and everything. Oh, yeah. Like how? I've never been to a Mardi Gras. So for for an outsider from the Bay Area, um, you know, very far away, tell me about the experience of being there and First and playing there. Ticket. Oh, a police officer. So you'd walk to any police officer and say, "Look, I need a ticket to Mardi Gras." <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> no. no. He's he's fucking with you. Oh, okay. We did that to a, a crew guy one time. We did that to a crew guy. And- he actually did it. He actually you did it? He actually went to a cop. Ah, poor bastard. Uh, where's that guy now? We're terrible people, aren't we? <laughs> well, we, we're fun. We do. Yeah, yeah exactly. But um, Mardi Gras, uh, it's, you know, it's insane. It's a giant swirl of just insanity, and basically you find your very worst and best self through Mardi Gras yeah. and it's just a giant drunken drug filled you know soul orgy of craziness and during that somehow we make music so yeah. <laughs> it's all good we used to do all nighters yeah we used to do all nighters we don't do that anymore it's just you know just doesn't make any sense to pass that time in our life well it's just back then it was a little more venues are more willing to do that kind of thing now i mean you got to understand like during the 80s and the 90s and things like that new orleans wasn't anywhere near in the focus of the country and the world as it is now yeah you know we you know uh, all these promoters and other bands and stuff started coming through that you'd never ever hear about you know because you know big bands just didn't come through new orleans or bands that i thought was big you know bands like you know the replacements or Nirvana said they didn't come yeah. through New Orleans. It just didn't happen. You know that really didn't develop until like around the mid '90s, and so um, so we, you know, we kind of had to make our own fun, you know, and being that we weren't what the tourists were after, you know, and and bands like us weren't what the tourists were after. We, you know, we made our own scene. We made our own fun, and it was great. It was you know, still is fun. Still great. And how did how did Katrina affect you and the music industry in in New Orleans? I know you. I guess you just recorded an album, and your studio was flooded. We had recorded an album. The studio was flooded, so we moved the base of operations to Atlanta to finish the album. And I had written a song called "The Avenue," that we actually ended up playing on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Um, 
it was you know it was really it was it was it was really um very intense you know that was when the focus started to shift obviously on new orleans and everything like that i think it in the long run it benefited a lot of musicians and entertainers from new orleans i don't think it really benefited us quite as much simply because once again we weren't the typical you know rhythm and bluesy new orleansy kind of thing but you know going through the experience was something that was very uh it was very um mind-blowing in every way you can think of so brian tell them your story about cutting down trees tell us brian um talking to my i was on a tour with a band and a different band and we rushed home and canceled the rest of the tour to come board up our houses and i came home <laughs> came home the day of the storm and the only way i could legally get into the parish was because my mom was a nurse and she flashed her badge. They had the interstate closed. Yeah. There was nobody on the streets and there was just trees across the interstate and power lines and stuff. Blah, 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 blah. You can hear me, right? I can hear you. So anyway, I spent the whole, I had a rental car that was due in New Orleans the minute the storm was hitting, uh-huh. eight o'clock that morning yeah <laughs> didn't get it there on time no <laughs> so i kept the rental car and i went driving around with a chainsaw a shotgun and a 38 special tucked in my my belt and uh spent two days going finding my friends sounds like army of darkness around. stuff over here <laughs> and that's what i did that- give me the microphone <laughs> uh, i want it <laughs> No, but it, it was it was it was. Uh, I remember I got in a few days after because a buddy of mine was a pretty high-ranking cop in Jefferson Parish, which is like, you know, there's there's a parish. We have parishes in Louisiana as opposed to counties, and New Orleans is is Orleans Parish, but uh, Jefferson Parish is basically as much New Orleans, and they kind of combine the two. Yeah. And so we drove down the interstate, and there was nobody there. The only thing I saw was a school bus that was overturned on the interstate with a bunch of clothes, literally like a seven-foot pile high of clothes and we got to the bridge of the 610 you know the 610 split and you couldn't go past it because the water was just it was easily like 15 feet high so it was just it done and we walked i remember me and uh mike my buddy we walked through project areas that you know you'd never be caught dead in before, yeah. and we could just walk all the way through and nobody was there. You so. can still see on like uh, some of the pump stations in New Orleans and different areas flood lines where the flood was 10 years later. It's still there. Yeah. Wow. It was intense, you know. Uh, it affected the band I was in, the storm. Um, it affected us because we couldn't find our drummer for four months. What? Really? And we, and we didn't know where he was. We knew he was alive, so we were not that concerned. <laughs> we, <laughs> Brothership is, you know, another way to talk about the band. Uh, uh, I mean, we, and it was, it's a long story. I didn't mean to say it that way, but yeah. we actually had nine different fill-in drummers through a six-month span <laughs> to keep the band alive. <laughs> we kept, uh, Cowboy Mouth kept touring. Um, we just, you know, my my mental thing has always been put your head down burrow through you know yeah so i didn't really allow myself a lot of that oh god yeah you know, poor, type poor of me. Thing. yeah you know we just toured and we like we did uh we did a four night stand at the windjammer in south carolina 
and it was, the city was really generous. It was right outside Charleston, a place called Isle of Palms. The guy that runs it named Bobby Ross, and his uh, guy that actually owns it, a guy named Malcolm. Really great, great people. And they they said, hey, you know, we know things are bad, you know. And they went through something similar with Hurricane Hugo in '89. Yeah. So they set up this whole thing of like we did like four shows and like oh, who was it? Edwin McCain opened a show for us. Oh, okay. And then the next night, this band Craven Mellon, who was really big in the area at the time, they opened a show for us. And then Hootie and the Blowfish opened a show for us. So it was like, it was their way of saying, okay. Give back and. Giving back. Yeah. And it was really, it really helped us out big time. Oh, I'd imagine. Big, big, big time. So so then we, we went back. I had some damage. Uh, one of our guitar players who's no longer with the band, he lost his house, but he did fine in the long run. He actually had a very nice insurance thing, so it worked out for him. Good. Um, uh, and, you know, it was just one of those things. It was very strange to deal with. and But it's never been my, you know, this is just me personally. My thing is not... I don't like to sit there and just, oh, woe is me, poor me, please, poor me. I hate that. That just... What does that accomplish, right? It accomplishes absolutely nothing. And I knew people like that during the time, just this whole narcissistic misery. And it was just like, you know what? Clean up, stand up, get the shit done. Show how we're strong, right? Well, it's just... Just, you know, look, there's a lot there's know. a lot of people going through a lot worse. I was very fortunate, but at the same time, personally I had a pretty good sense of history. You know, we live in a bowl. Yeah. Live in a raised house, live in a high flood live in a no flood zone, and you know, and and pay the insurance. You know, just be ready for anything. Yeah. My street flooded, my house didn't. You know, I got lucky as hell. But also I like to think I was a little smart, but you know. But at the same time, you know, not everybody has those advantages and everything like that. And I understand that, you know, and, you know, those are the people that need your help, your sympathy, your energy. But, you know, I think I think it shifted a lot of people's psyche because New Orleans is one of those cities. I assume San Francisco is the same way if you spend a lot of time here. But definitely like New York is very much the same way with like 9-11 is it shifts everything it shifts your psychic foundation and that was the whole thing about katrina it was yes it was a lot of damage yes there was you know but you know all that stuff can be fixed but it was such a foundational shift that nobody was really prepared for yeah because we hadn't had uh we hadn't had a hurricane and a flood like that in years it happened in new orleans many times it's going to happen again yeah it's just you know it's just it hadn't happened in like 30 years we'd really been lucky and then all of a sudden it's just you know th- that generation just was not prepared for that kind of event so it's you know. it's hard when you have that stuff i mean being in the bay area like we get earthquakes right we yeah, don't get enough floods yeah. but we get earthquakes and you know it's going to happen again and you, you just you just deal with it you pick up you clean up and you you clean up move, move on. on go back to work and <laughs> take care of business so yeah. okay. He's getting ready for his shit. Very nice. <laughs> Where's my wallet? He's a, ure- he's a urologist. Check him out. <laughs> uh, I, thought you were I thought you were a gyno. You're supposed to say, uh, <laughs> he's not a gyno. Is that what he told you? He does not heal them, <laughs> he damages them. Uh. <laughs> 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 
So, so you've recorded, I mean, almost as many albums as years you've been around at this point. About, about uh, 9,428 9, albums. Pretty much. 9,000 albums. We went through our psychedelic phase. Mm. Sergeant Booty's Only Shit Club. Sergeant Shit Club's Only Dart Club Boomsk. Sergeant Shit Club's Only Darts Club Boomsk. I don't know. I'm just an idiot. It's anyway, it's all good. Yeah, we've recorded a lot of albums. You have, mm-hmm. and and a, a bunch of them are live as well. So yeah. So uh, kind of, how do you go in preparing for a live album versus recording an album in a studio? Well, we don't prepare for a live you, you album. Somebody shot. comes up and says, "Hey, we're recording yeah. you today." Hey, that sounded good. Let's put it out. That's basically what our live albums have been. Studio album. Uh, you make sure you've got a good collection of songs. You make sure that uh, every studio album's been different. Like our last, our latest album's called Go. Uh, we actually had a budget. We actually got to go to an actual studio. Mm, nice. Because, I mean, well, because, you know, the last few years, you know, the last 10 years, you know, recording has been kind of a dicey proposition because, you know, studios have become a lot more a lot more portable. You know, oh, yeah. you don't go to one of those giant places anymore. They're rare if they exist at all, you know. And Make a home studio pretty cheap. Yeah, home you know, studio so. pretty cheap and then... It's like, well, I tell you what. Instead of trying to get us all together, why don't you just record your tracks at home, and that'll be easier and cheaper, and you know. Yeah. So, you know, and the albums, you know, they're very, they're very good, but you know, this last album we got to all sit in a room and play together, which was nice. You know, there's just a different vibe there. Yeah. I didn't want to admit it, but yeah, there's a different vibe there. So. A good vibe, right? Great vibe. Positive. So. Wonderful. And the other way was good too. We got we. I'm not, you know. Can't say we've ever really put out a bad album. Would you? No. I, is there anything really we've crappy? We've any done? disappointments you want to bring up on the? <laughs> well, the first album was uh, typically. The first album. Blues, you know? yeah. it, was, uh, it was the first album blues. I mean, Motley Crue's first album. Was really yeah, blues. very first yeah, album. Yeah, something called Word of Mouth years ago. But uh, you know, most of my favorites are Easy, Voodoo Shop, and. Those are two of my. Yeah. Are you with me? Easy Voodoo Shop. I like Go. I like Go. I like some things like this train. There's some good stuff on this train. You like that album? John John likes Mercyland. I'm not a big fan. Not a big fan. Won't be playing anything off that tonight? No, no. Do we play anything off Mercyland now? Occasionally we'll do What You're Gonna Do or Bad or. You know, I'd like to learn why you want to do me again. That'd be fun. What's up? Uh, all access for your guest list. No. Well, uh, Jello. Which one is he? Uh, Eric. Eric Boucher. Everybody else can stuff it. And Steve Jones. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. You need to get in. What was that? Uh, I mean, if we could, if we could uh, get the balcony passes, you know, that'd, that'd be cool. Griff, do you need all access for your guest Um, Just uh, my... Co- uh, no, you know, not really. Just John and... Uh, yeah, fuck him. <laughs> yeah, Eric. Eric. Eric plus Eric and his. Give him a plus one. Be fine. And so, uh, so when you go into making a set list, like for, for a show, for this tour, say, how do you limit it down to, you know, fifteen, twenty songs or whatever you have? Well, for you the- do what works live. You yeah. know, I mean, the, you know, one of the pluses is that we've been able to scale down our equipment on. The, our show-wise equipment to where our stage is completely bare now, except for drums. 
and it gives everybody a lot more room to do a show. I noticed that, yeah. The the I think one of the negatives is we don't have the ability to rehearse quite as much as we should. But I mean, you, you know, live we're such a machine, you know. Um, I tried, you know, we 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 try to throw in like new songs, uh, older songs that people want to hear. We just started playing some stuff we hadn't start, been playing in a while. We started playing "Love of My Life" and. I know it shows, and how do you tell someone? You know, songs we just—it's not that you consciously stop playing. It's just like let's try something else, you know. Yeah. And you don't want to bore people, you know. No, keep it exciting. Yeah, keep it exciting, and, and when I say bore people, you don't want to just no. play forever and ever and ever. Yeah. You know, and you got to keep it concise, and you got to keep people interested because, you know, my thing is I'm not just playing that show. I'm playing five shows down the road. You know, I'm playing five shows in San Francisco down the road. So yeah. it's like, okay. You know, I always structure the set not only for the fans who have come and seen us before, but also for the new person. Yeah. Because, you know, our fans, our turnover rate fan-wise is always like two or three years. You know, they're always... Huh? Yeah, you want something to drink? Coke? I'm good for it right now. Thanks. Uh, or at least, three, I say three to five. Three to five years. That's a fair analogy now. Yeah. And um, so we're always, I always figure we're kind of reintroducing ourselves to our fan base and vice versa, you know. So. Yeah. And so, last question here. Tell, tell us about the Red Spoons and how that came to be. No idea. And is that going to happen tonight? Everybody loves you. Uh, it's, we don't make it happen. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't something you set up. I we, personally think it was a marketing thing that somebody at the record label came up with. Yeah. Um, yeah but, but fans started doing it. And they used to throw Tootsie Rolls for it. They used to throw Tootsie Rolls for a song we don't play anymore. Thank God. <laughs> Stop playing that song. So well, they'd all throw them at me. Yeah. The nice thing is you get Tootsie Rolls, but then you get pegged with it and you're unconscious. Well, yeah, so. it, was a song, it was a song called Hurricane Party that was actually sung by a guitar player that wasn't in, it's not in the band anymore. Mm-hmm. And we actually stopped playing it uh, before he left because it was Katrina. And we thought, oh, this isn't really funny. You know, this isn't really cool. And we tried to play it once at Jazz Fest. The, the first Jazz Fest after after Katrina. It was a big deal, you know. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And we played the song. It was the only time in Jazz Fest history, history, when all of the power went out. All of wow. the power went out. We're sitting there playing the song. La, da, 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 da. Everything. Everything went out. Yeah. So I was like, it took about five minutes to get the uh, to get the power back on and everything. So I go up to uh, our old guitar player. I said, "All right, let's play the song again." He looked at me. His eyes were wide. It's like, I'm not playing that song again. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> That's so, pretty funny. Yeah, and it was just it was just kind of, you know, just in light of everything that happened, it just doesn't seem appropriate. You know? Yeah, just leave it in the past. We got enough leave other past, material. Yeah, we can. Past. We yeah. There's a lot of songs that we have now that we can't play because, you know, what can you fit into a two-hour show, you know? So Exactly. So. But for, for me, as far as the show goes, it's whatever works live. Yeah. You know, so. Play the hits. Play, play the hits. hits. People want, play, I, I, do, I try to do about 50-50. Songs that people want to hear along with songs that you want to do and just kind of keep them together. Yeah. I'm not going to play, you know, like we have some songs on some albums that... We feel they're really strong songs, but you know, just aren't going to work live. You know, we have a song off an album. Uh, what was that album? Fearless. A song called Maureen. One of the best songs I ever wrote. 
It's about my it's, mom. It's about your mom. I was. Yeah. I, I wanted yeah. to talk to you about that, yeah, but yeah. I didn't think. I didn't want to end it on no, that. No, 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 no. It's. Yeah. See you, bro. Yeah. Take care, bro. Uh, yeah, I, but, but, I'm glad was, you mentioned that because yeah. I, you know, I listened to it and it was a really touching song. And it, thank it, you. It, it, I mean, just how you put it together was, yeah. I mean, really cool. Well, thank you. That's one of the benefits of you know, like having somebody like like John, you know, because his talent just really took that song, which was already, you know, in my opinion, a strong song. Yeah. And he just elevated it, you know, just elevated it. Oh yeah. And so. You know, it was one of those things where, okay, yes, we're playing it. Yes, it's a band song, but this is not really anything we should ever bring out live. Yeah, it's you know, it's just very personal too. Well, it's yeah. personal. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, that's the thing. We, you know, we try to create a community with our a fan base. You know, it's not, it's not. I'm not just some like lofty kind of hello. <laughs> I'm bestowing my genius upon you now. Yes. Leave me alone in my castle. No, no. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, it's a community of people. And, you know, you know, we're all going through the same things, you know, even though I'm in a rock band, I'm a drummer, and I'm kind of a nutbag, you know, or whatever. But at the same time, you know, it's like, you know, you know, both my parents died, so I wrote songs about it because that's what you do. Yeah. You know, I, you know, write songs about being alive, write songs about, you know, being on, you know, working, being on tour, struggling, you know, falling in love, falling out of love, things like that, you know, it's just, just life. That's not really, yeah. I don't really see any real reason to creatively try to reinvent the wheel with Cowboy Mouth. Yeah. Or, or even my own ability, because in the long run, what you're trying to do is, or what I'm trying to do, is communicate. Yeah. You know, with my audience, communicate. You know, not only a vibe, not only a feeling, not only an entertaining show, but hopefully, you know, an idea that can go past that. So, what's up, champ? I just like your position. <laughs> well, Very it comfortable. Out. Check it out. One and a half inches of glory. Oh. <laughs> That's recorded for posterity. It, it is, right? <laughs> Ladies. Too bad I'm married. It's all right. Step back up, back up. Stop while you're... That's, yeah, I, I think yeah. that's a perfect place to <laughs> But um, so yeah, you know, you're just trying to, you know, the 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 cowboy mouth experience is based around the live show. But everything, you know, I want everything to be kind of a quality thing. Whether it's a an album with a song we might not play that often, or if ever live, or like you know, a merchandise or website, things like that. You know, you just want it to be a quality experience for people. So. Yeah. And that's all. And that's all. Well, Fred, thank you for taking the time Thank today. you, man. This Appreciate is fun. It. We're going to continue on and actually listen to a couple more songs of Cowboy Mouth here from their show at The Independent. And the first is going to be a cover of Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses, which is actually pretty cool because we're going to have uh, that song on this podcast right now. Um, and spoiler alert, next week we're actually also go most likely going to share Sweet Child of Mine by Metalachi. So um, tune in for that and you can uh, choose your favorite version of Sweet Child of Mine. And then we'll also play uh, Everybody Loves Jill uh, by Cowboy Mouth, which is uh, an awesome song where uh, they, they kind of built this reputation for um, everybody throwing red spoons during the song, which is uh, pretty awesome to see, So uh, and a lot of fun. So let's check that out now.
Carter is my partner for 26 years. God damn. We played Bottom of the Hill. We played Slims. We played the Greek Theater. We played the Independent. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you the Right Reverend of Rock and Roll, Mr. Frederick Levy LeBlanc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen of the great state of California, having a good time at the Cowboy Mouth Experience tonight. We are having a great time. I'm not sure when the next time we'll get to San Francisco will be, but I can guarantee you it won't be soon enough. Are you with me here? We would like to come back on a Friday or Saturday, so if you want us to come back on a Friday or Saturday, then you got to promise to make about five friends so these motherfuckers will have us back on a weekend. Make some noise if you want us back there. And this is a part of the Cowboy Mouth Experience where I'm going to ask you all to throw your hands high in the air and go from the left to the right, 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 the left to the right. Both hands, Ken, Jen, Kershaw, Bob, sing it, baby. So that was uh, Cowboy Mouth, uh, a couple other songs that we heard from them, and what an amazing show uh, that night. I mean, just it was just incredible. Had a, such a great time at the show. Um, and Thank you to Cowboy Mouth for doing the show and the interview. Yeah, really cool because it was a it was a very last minute interview. I I saw on uh, the Sunday before the show uh, that they were going to be here, and I'm like, Joe, we got to do the interview. Gets Cowboy Mouth, nostalgia, bro. I was not opposed, but I also, I knew. Was not for. Uh, well, it was my one day off with my wife, and I had Post- to work six days last week, and, you know. You had poster boards to be making, and, yeah. 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 You know, you know how that goes. I do know how that goes. Well, I don't think I made the poster boards, but, yeah, go for it. Uh, so, so we should get into our next segment here, Joe. What, do you, uh, what segment is that? I mean, I don't know why you call it the next segment. It is the only segment, Stephen Jones. Music motherfucking news. Okay, so we have some good stories here uh, for the music news today. Um, I don't know if you heard. Um, I, I didn't really hear, but apparently there was an investigation into B.B. King's death. Um, uh, really? Uh, I did not hear that. And apparently is suspected that he might have been poisoned to death. But Whoa. Right? 
what's the evidence there? I don't know. I didn't hear that that story. So maybe we got to look up that one first because we're we haven't talked about that in the music news. We yeah, we haven't talked about that in the music news. So I so I didn't hear that one. But uh, I mean, I can either look up the old story and uh, and kind of figure out what happened there. But I mean, the, I guess the the point is here that um, he was not poisoned to death. The investigating coroner said, um, and so it, it follows claims from some members of the Blues Icon's family that there had been foul play before his passing in May, and so um, instead. He died as a result of Alzheimer's disease and other physical conditions at the age of 89. Um, Ruling closed the investigation into King's death. Uh, Las Vegas police confirmed no further activity is planned in relation to the allegations. And and they report that uh, at this point we can say with confidence that Mr. King died of natural causes. Our condolences go out to the family and many friends of Mr. King. We hope this determination brings uh, them some measure of closure. So I'm not sure why they would say that. I mean... He's 89, and, I mean, he he didn't have the bodies we're going to have at 89, right, Joe? Well, I mean, no. I'm going to be doing HGH from, like, 55 on, so I'm going to look like a goddamn Greek god. <laughs> what is HGH? Human growth hormone. Oh, there you go. It is, it, I mean, it's essentially the fountain of youth for your body. Your brain will still – I mean, my brain might still be a mush ball, but if you maintain your body physically – and you pump hormones into it and maintain a hormone level of that of a 30-year-old man, you don't, ostensibly, you don't age. I mean, obviously joints are what they are, but we're about, I'd say we're about 20 years out, maybe 25 years out from nanotechnology being at a level where bots, much like uh, the Borg nanobots, Mm -hmm. will be able to be injected into your body and do microcellular reconstruction, surgery, cleaning literally deplacking your heart and all of the all the crap and crud around there um it's pretty it's be pretty incredible i'm really looking forward to it it's gonna be fun oh that sounds like a good time um share some I mean, with- we, we could we could potentially be the first generation to live forever we just have to you know stop polluting the goddamn planet and uh we need to hope that no uh, asteroids impact the earth do we want to live forever joe i don't at all no no, I see. No, I don't at all. I'm already, you know, I'm 31 years old, and I'm already like, God, I can't fucking, I can't fucking believe that I have another 40 years of this bullshit. <laughs> uh, Tell us how you really. It's feel. not that I'm not. It's not that I'm not looking forward to it. It's yeah. just I can't believe it. It's it's like, uh, I've only really been like, you know, as an adult, you're, it's you only reach the age of reason or like being cognizant of the world around you at like I would say like 14. Yeah. So really, we've only got like 17 years of experience at this point. And, and, you know, a fair amount of that was sheltered into transitioning out of high school, right? So you can call four or five years of that a bust. For you, it was, I I think you didn't, I think you were sheltered until you were about 23. Uh, No, you broke out of your shell pretty, I broke you out of your shell pretty young. And you broke out on your own naturally after that. Your determination was, was great. And um, so, yeah, I mean, think about it. You probably got, call it like 10 years, maybe 12 years of like real life experience at this point. Yeah. And it's like, I'm I'm already forgetting stuff. And I have a pretty good memory. And I'm already like, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. You know, 40 years from now, how the fuck am I going to remember what I was doing when I was 20? You're not. You're not. Uh, and and it, it even, it expedites, Joe. I mean, you're saying 40 years from now, but it expedites once you have children. Like, you're, you're like... 
I mean, when, what was this? I mean, that happened like really. And you're like, I don't remember my kid as a, a baby. Like, you know, I mean that stuff, right? I mean, you want right. stuff you expect to be able to hold on to forever. Uh, but, but there's no room it, uh, for it. It, it, it just doesn't happen. Right. Right. Your brain is a capacity already. Yeah. I'm not getting any yeah. smarter. Yeah. Though. So, I, so there, so there it is. Imagine, I mean, none of us are. I mean, imagine getting, imagine getting to like 70. I mean, what do you care about at that age anymore other than like making it to the toilet? Yeah, not, not a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I just, I can't, I wouldn't want to live forever. I hope that I have a nice, healthy, full life. I hope that I, uh, that I, I am fortunate enough to enjoy good health uh, until I pass. But uh, HGH is going to be integral in that, in that role. And and so you the HGH this HGH you just you start it when you're older you don't start it when you're younger. No, your body's producing a normal level. Well, so human growth hormone is really for like boosting your body. It's kind of like it's an it's an undetectable steroid essentially, but it's a naturally occurring steroid. So it's not like a synthetic uh, steroid like uh, Equipos or one of the other like more popular Stanzolol. Um, there are a lot. I mean, there's a shitload of steroids out there. Um, human growth hormone is the body. It's hormones your body naturally produces. So you're injecting yourself with essentially a natural substance. Um, that said, it's still ca- it can cause all kinds of problems. It can cause an enlarged liver, um, brain swelling if if used in improper amounts. I mean, there's lots of things that you can fuck up. But uh, that's kind of the beauty of nanobots is that it can balance the chemistry in your body. You know, they'll be able to resuscitate people who are dead because you'll be able to have these bots oxygenate the brain. Nice. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. I can't. I absolutely can't wait. You're literally the most exciting thing is deplacking your your uh, arteries. I think that's fucking legit because it means that essentially heart disease and heart cardiac arrest is no longer a threat to to dying. Yeah. Um, and I mean, who knows how far the technology could really go? If nanobot, there might be a nanobot procedure where they, they literally just defat your body. They just, these bots, work twenty four hours, a day, seven days a week to remove excess fat so that you stay, lean and healthy. And then they're deplacking your heart so your heart's not getting all gunked up with bullshit. Well, that'd be crazy. So a, uh, well, I mean, it. it it's I would say that it's it's an inevitability is like I said as long as we stop polluting the planet and as long as we don't blow ourselves up we should be able to get there I mean there's no limit to the human ingenuity it's it's fucking amazing how much we how far we've come and there you know essentially the idea that there's a tech singularity approaching that there's um, with that with increased technologies and exponential growth curve meaning you know the faster we discover new technologies the faster then we discover each successive technology. So it just gets faster and faster. Those, the timeline, because the, the growth curve becomes steeper and the timeline becomes shorter. Um, and, uh, and that growth curve would be like, how, how much time does it take for us to double the amount of technology we already have? And it's already doubled since our parents were born. You know, it's, it's already doubled. It'll double again in our kid's lifetime. And like I said, that, amount of time gets shorter and shorter so we're going to see multiple tech singularity 
increases over the course of our lifetime. And at the same time, our, our population has doubled, um, you know, since our, our kids, I mean, our, our parents were kids, right? And um, Correct. And so, I mean, that's kind of a, a scary part of the whole thing is like, okay, our lifespan's expand, expanding and, um, and all this technology can make, like you say, make us live forever. But how much of that do we need? I mean, because at some point we're going to reach capacity here like i mean our population isn't going down and um, right right yeah there's only yeah, you asked how much sure. of that do we really need truth be told we don't need any of it yeah we don't need any of it that's not what drives humans though necessity is the mother of invention sure but that's only when we need it uh when we're just exploring we come up with neat little gadgets and fun conveniences and distractions you know that humans are are really a fascinating creature because we are so uh, geared and gauged mentally towards survival that we take there's a part of our brain that's evolved to take so much pleasure in in the idea of relaxation and in the ability to not worry about stuff it's almost like an addictive it's almost like an addicting substance in and of itself to be just to be chilling just to be like oh man relaxed feeling good not worrying about shit you know and fucking around endlessly um, on the internet it's you know I, I would be lying if I said that I wasn't a total internet addict and a big part of that is the fact that it's it feels good to uncoil your brain from the things that are that need to be done and to put energy or or to gauge the amount of minimal energy that you put into just kind of screwing around you know humans have gotten really really good at that um, yeah. in the I would say in the last couple of generations because a couple generations ago leisure time was not it wasn't real. It didn't exist. Leisure time was like, we've had a nice meal and we've had a good day of tilling the field. And now we'll sing a song as a family before we go to bed. You know, yeah. that was as good as it got. There was that. And then there was banging, right? Sex was the most amazing thing on the planet forever. So humans were really enamored with that, you know, producing 15 children, half of which would die in childhood. Um, and then a few would die with broken bones and then one or two would grow up and they'd have kids of their own. So, you know, you talk about the species becoming too numerous and I, I don't disagree with that. Obviously, there are lots of humans on the planet. The key to population control and, and kind of population balancing, to be honest with you, it's very simple. I mean, I, I'm sure you could even guess not having any kind of information on the subject and not having read about it at all what the key is um yeah i mean abstinence no <laughs> abstinence has been shown time and again abstinence only programs are ineffective in prevention of of teen pregnancy and of unwanted childbirth abstinence is not an effective plan and how fucking dare you suggest that no making birth control available to everybody yeah is the key that is it that's that was all. my next guess so. that's it if there were condoms around the world and everybody had access to them, yeah, they're not 100% effective. They are when they're used properly. You wouldn't have fucking, you wouldn't have people having nine kids. They wouldn't want nine kids. They'd want to fuck because they, it feels good and they have a right to do it, but then they wouldn't, they wouldn't have a child as a result. Yeah. So, I mean, to say nothing of hormonal birth control, you know, the, we truly have a good here in the West where hormonal birth control preserves all of the wonderful feeling of sex without having to wear a fucking condom. So, you know, honestly, the, the methods are there. There's a, there's a few silly things in the way, like religion, 
preventing people from being rational and being like, you know, I don't, I shouldn't have more than, you know, three kids is really how many I need. Yeah. I don't need more than that, you know. And if we're going to balance the population, it's really two. You know, you have one for each of the parents and then the numbers don't keep growing. Exactly. So, so while I'm, I'm in favor of people being able to make the free choice to have children should they desire them, I also think that there's people who are mentally unstable if they decide to have more than like, I'd say like four kids is as good as it gets. If you have five kids, you're probably, there's probably something weird upstairs. You're yeah. probably un, unhinged in some way because it's, you know, and then when I, and that's not to knock people who don't have access to birth control. Culturally speaking, there are definitely plenty of countries on the planet where it's like, oh yeah, no, big family. And, and some don't even want it though. I mean, some it's a religious thing that they, you know. They, right, they, no, like I said a minute ago, you know, if we could do away with the yeah. silly, the silly kind of uh, attachment to tradition that comes with religion, or if religion were to just change its mandate and say, you know what, guys, this is a fucking good idea. Yeah. You don't want to have all these kids. The problem is, is that religion doesn't want to stop having children because it's easy to indoctrinate a child, right? Yeah. A religion, a religion gets, you get them while they're young and they believe it for the rest of their lives and you have no problem commanding loyalty from that child. Whereas if you bring religion to an adult who's never been indoctrinated, they're going to look at it and they're going to be like, I, I don't buy this. This doesn't sound like, this doesn't sound likely to me, you know, <laughs> yeah. this is, this is, this is kind of what's, what is, what is a miss here? There's something off here. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So, so, um, anyway, that was a, that was quite the fucking, quite the fucking tangent. That was off of BB King. So <laughs> Should... right. What's it? What else we got in the future? Where's this next story going to go? Huh? <laughs> I don't know. Let's find out. Dave Grohl. Uh, why his stage fall was a blessing in disguise, Joe. Uh, in case you haven't heard the past couple of podcasts that we've done, we've been talking about Dave Grohl's stage fall, uh, which uh, he fell off the stage playing his guitar at a Foo Fighters show, was a fucking badass, and went to the hospital and came back uh, and and played the show with a broken leg. Uh, and then he uh, didn't, just needed to set that bar even a little bit higher. And on the 4th of July, he uh, created a, th a throne for himself, uh, where uh, he made out of guitars, and it was just insane. It was, you know, rock star status to the to the extreme for their for the uh, Foo Fighters 20th anniversary show. And so uh, Dave Grohl's described the stage fall that left him with a broken leg as a beautiful blessing in disguise. Um, and uh, he returned to action last week in a Game of Thrones themed chair. Let's see, what seemed like a setback at the time has turned into this beautiful blessing in disguise. This throne, these crutches, and these audiences uh, make us play longer and harder than we ever have. Uh, it's this whole new energy in the show. He says of his stage prop, the idea is just fucking ridiculous, especially for a band that's never relied on any kind of production at all. Uh, we usually just put the amps on the stage, turn on the lights and play. Now we've got this throne that shoots lights and smoke and looks like a fucking UFO with guitar necks stuck on. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. I love it. I think it's I, I could not imagine Dave Grohl sitting on stage and playing in a, in a folding chair. I love that he decided <laughs> to go for it, man. I think it's so fucking badass. Yeah, he knows what he's doing and he's doing it right. Like everything. Like he's very i don't know he's living life like he he enjoys himself and what he does and he's good at it and he's a good person and uh and he, i don't know what just what an incredible rock star right <laughs> that's that, i love it yeah anything else on that one nah okay um, Dave Grohl, you're the man he is 
Papa Roach frontman slams Kanye West and pops useless drivel. Uh, Jacoby Shaddix has taken a swipe at today's useless dr uh, drivel. Did I say drivel? Uh, drivel pop scene and uh, talked up the value of rock music. Uh, he's also taken aim at Kanye West, just dazed after Slipknot's uh, Corey Taylor shot, uh, shot down the rapper's claim that he's the greatest rock star on earth. Um, in case you hadn't heard, Kanye West did a show um, within the past two weeks said he was the greatest rock star on earth, and then he went uh, ahead to cover uh, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody and butchered the fuck out of it uh he he just is like it, it was miserable i don't know it, it was just horrible 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 and <laughs> and so shaddix tells revolver i don't really get the hollywood scene right now to be completely honest especially when with the pop music and what's going on in that world i just see it as useful dribble rock and roll brings so much more heart and soul and passion and fire to people i just don't see people rolling up on kanye and being like dude your music's changed my life he also says i can respect the art but on a personal level rock music there's just so much more value to it so What's your thought, Joe? I think that everyone listening to this segment should go and Google an interview Kanye West did with a guy named Charlemagne the God on the Wake Up Show, uh, which is a hip-hop radio program. I think you need to check it out because Charlemagne is a very intelligent representative of, of uh, the hip-hop community, and he busts Kanye's balls so hard he calls him out so hard, and, and Kanye has nothing for him. And I honestly, you listen when I listen to the interview, I think Kanye is unhinged. I legitimately think Kanye is a crazy person. He the way he addresses the questions is it's like he's not even hearing what this guy is saying. You know, this guy is like, you know, I used to be about Kanye West and his music. You know, I used to be about Yeezus, you know, kind of thing. College dropout, you know, um, late registration. His first couple albums were incredible. They were incredible. And now he has become a punchline. He went from being this, this amazing uh, representative of, of hip hop and this incredible, I mean, really cross-cultural um, superstar. I mean, Kanye West was one of a kind, is one of a kind, and had something to say with his music. He had yeah. a message and he has become a joke. And not just because he decided to marry a woman who's famous for having a fuck tape, and has a kid with her, and named the kid Northwest, which is like that kid is so fucked. That oh, kid's yeah. more. That kid is more fucked than Will Smith's kid. Well, you could throw money at it and solve all your problems, right? So. Well, no, that no, we've seen time and again, money doesn't solve any problems. It doesn't yeah. fix a shitty human being. It doesn't yeah. make somebody with poor character into a decent person. And Kanye West is is like borderline megalomania, and his cover of Queen's Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody is just, it is a fucking travesty. Yeah. You know, you ha he had to know, he had to know that he, he was going to sound like absolute fucking dog shit. Yeah. He trying couldn't... to sing a song sang by Freddie fucking Mercury. Yeah. He had to know, but he also knew that it would get people talking. He was like, good or bad, I'm still going to be talked about. I'm yeah. going to be in the headlines. I'm going to be popular. So, you know, you, you have to question his genius only so far before you remember that like hey here we are talking about Kanye West a billionaire yeah exactly so I mean the money is irrelevant yeah. it's more the fact that his brand He's... itself he could spend it all and still be a force in the pop culture you know uh, world in, in the in through the lens of influence Kanye West has a voice people yeah. kids um, 
I wouldn't say he's a mentor, but he's certainly an idol for people. And uh, because of that, he has influence. He has a voice. So, you know, my beef with Kanye West is it can be can be summed up in that Charlemagne interview because Charlemagne the God puts it puts it right to him and doesn't grills him really and doesn't really let up. And it's just like, you know, what is your deal, man? You yeah. used to mean something. You used to be about it. And now you don't mean shit. You're you're this weird, you know, self-obsessed, crazy person. And uh, and it's pretty lovely, you know, it's pretty lovely having somebody put the fucking screws to Kanye West and try to hold him accountable for all the shit that comes out of his mouth. Because that's, that's the other thing, too, is, like, I wouldn't hate on Kanye except for that Kanye wants to be hated on. Yeah. He, he's not stupid. He knows that what he's doing is, is obnoxious. He knows that what he's doing is controversial. He knows that the things that he says are, are inappropriate. Um, but because of all that, he has built an influence that is, is unparalleled. I mean, it's really, I, I think about it and it's like, God, I can't think of a man as, as big as Kanye is. I can't think of a man who's as popular as he is or who has so many ears, especially of the youth. You know, yeah, and and at the end of the day, that's that kind of power is uh, is incredible. It's a testament to his to his charisma and his will, you know, um, and his influence. But do I think Kanye West has better things to do with himself? I do, and I, I'd love to see Kanye bring it, you know, bring it back to a level where he has the respect of, of fans. Because I think I you know I'm a fan of Kanye West, but I can't respect what he's doing because he's he acts like a jackass. Yeah. So you know, doing a, doing a cover of Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, like a half-ass ridiculous cover, is just I don't know. The guy yeah. who edited that, whoever edited that online, is a, is a genius. Yeah. Well, that's that story. Uh, we have two more stories here before we wrap the pod, if we can get to those, because it sounds like Joe's getting home. So, <laughs> um, so uh, Sea World is firing. Oh, the Whole Foods, bro. Oh, <laughs> rocking it out. Okay. Uh, uh, well, sure. I mean, I'm not going to rock out through the aisles. I'm just going to get some food. You might. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> well, well sea, sea World is firing back at uh, One Direction's Harry Styles, Joe. Uh, and so... Uh, Does at anyone a, care? Uh, well, li- listen to this story. Uh, no, no, no. Don't even want to hit it. Okay. Next, no. next story. Do no. I want to hear it? Done. I don't know. That's your call. You want to hear it or no? Do you want to hear it? Well, you're, you've spoken your voice, so we uh, so we're not going to hear it. So, <laughs> on to the next story. Uh, Fifty Cent uh, is filing for uh, bankruptcy. No. Yep. Um, so he shared a statement of, uh, via Billboard following um, his de- de- declaration of Chapter Eleven bankruptcy on Monday. No. Um, Dude, look look up what, look up how much he's worth. He made like he made like fifty billion dollars off of his vitamin water campaign. So though uh, 50 Cent has talked about losing millions before in the stock market back in 2008, he was just uh, valued at $155 million by Forbes in May. Um, the rapper's camp said, Attorneys for Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, today announced that their client has filed for relief under Chapter, chapter 11 of the Bankruptcy Code. Um, allows him to reorganize his financial affairs as he addresses various professional liabilities and takes steps to position the future of his various business interests. Mr. Jackson's business interests will continue unaffected in the ordinary courses during the pendency of the Chapter 11 case. Wow. Right? He's actor, musician, bulletproof motherfucker, like 50 Cent, is uh, filing for bankruptcy. So. <laughs> what is the world coming to? 
I don't know. Uh, what you know? What is the world coming to? Outrageous. Yeah. Well, that's our music news for today. Um, Perfect. Yes. So, um, so we'll go ahead and wrap this one. Call, put a bow on it, and call it episode sixty-six. What? How does that sound? Sounds great. So. Um, so thank you for listening today. Uh, it's uh, been a fun episode. And uh, next week on the show, we're going to have a band called Steakhouse who opened up for Cowboy Mouth. And so we'll get to hear them. And also, we're going to have some songs from Metalachi. Yeah, our favorites. Yes, they, they played the, uh, the Napa Town and Country Fair. So Metalachi. And, um, and that's coming up next time. I can think of no better way to play out the show than to play Light It on Fire by Cowboy Mouth. And so for Concert Pipeline, that's Joe Wilson. That is Stephen Jones. Catch you later, folks. I don't know what that means to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. Yeah. All right, go, go. In five, four, three.